Hi, my name is Leslie. I'm a recovering alcoholic. For that, I'll forever be grateful. I like to thank the Most High for allowing me to remain sober so that I could transfer, transmit something that can maybe inspire you or, or tick you off a little bit to turn the mirror and look at yourself. Um, I pray that I'm able to do this task. Uh, I pray that somebody in here who's suffering from this disease called alcoholism is, is going to be able to get an aha moment because it's been a series of aha moments that's gotten me into the middle of this program and kept me here. Um, I'd like to start out, uh, and thank you, Chris, for praying, but I'd like to start out with a prayer that my sponsor, Brenda M. from Los Angeles, always says, and it is this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the person that I can and the wisdom to know that that person is me. That is the most phenomenal prayer. That is the most self-examinating prayer that I've, I've heard in the last five years. And I use it often because I forget that I, I can't change people, but, but, and, and I can't even change me, but with, with a power and maybe even with this group, I can be changed and I can be changed permanently, not temporarily because of self-will. I've been given the charge to talk about fear and sex. So if you came up in here to hear about sex, you might as well turn off your camera and leave the building. But I will give you some things. Let me tell you something about the fifth step of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is to say to, to exchange that information, it's between you, God, and another human being. And uh, my sponsor, Betty T, for 26 years before she passed away in 2015, used to say, you don't give another man your sex inventory. Your sex conduct inventory is between you, God, and another human being. Because if you're in a relationship... With another man, I'm just speaking from a single heterosexual woman. So put in the pronouns where you need. But if you're in a relationship with somebody, you don't necessarily need to tell him everything. If, if I told if I told somebody everything from the very first day that my representative was there, they take off running. So what do I do? I have a tendency to be able to mask the whore inside. Yeah, I said whore. The woman, the immoral woman inside. I've been able to mask that. And manipulate that. Let me tell you basically where I came in. I came into the room depleted. I came into the room at 28 years old. I came into the rooms Alcoholics Anonymous willingly. I, from the day I set foot in my first AA meeting, I liked it. From the day I set foot in an AA meeting and you walked up to me and asked me who I was and told me your stories, I loved it. I have not had a fight, a single fight with the, the idea of staying among you. I didn't have an argument. I was so excited to be somewhere because I hadn't been anywhere outside of my house in many, many, many years because I had isolated and separated myself from anything human. The substance was my friend. The substance was my power. The alcohol was my power. And it worked real well in the beginning till it stopped working. So when I came in, I came in one time by God's grace and I stayed. I think it has a little bit to do with my cooperation or my participation, my willingness to be done. I don't know, but I do know that something surrendered me into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I'm going to get fast forward because there's a lot to talk about and a lot to cover in this fear and sex thing. See, for me, uh, I like to use the ter term that my sponsor, Brenda, says, uh, uh, my currency, my value was in my sexual prowess. It was in my looks. It was what I could do to you, with you, and manipulate you by way of my body. 
by way of my language and all the different tricks and things that I could do to get you to be with me and to stay with me. I had a fear of abandonment. My mother was married five times, so she wasn't the best example to be how to be in a relationship. I didn't have a father growing up. I had several fathers, but my paternal father was not available. All I knew going to Catholic school, because I'm a recovering Catholic girl, all I knew was that I needed to get a boyfriend and I needed to keep a boyfriend. But for some reason, boyfriends always were out of my reach. They were like an elusive butterfly. I could never keep a boyfriend. It was good if we did a good 90 days, even back as far as liking a boy in elementary school. And he didn't like me back. It started from that low self-worth, low self-esteem thing that I had going on. And I didn't even know what it was. But when it came to alcohol, I could take a drink and I could become whatever you wanted me to be. Even if I didn't know what it was you wanted to be in my mind's eye, I could become that girl. You know, I'm going to say something really funny. Raquel Welch just passed away recently. I'm going to go back for the old school people who, who know what I'm talking about. Hi, Bill. Um, I'm going to go way back, back for some of you older people, more mature people, I'll say. But Raquel Welch just passed away. And I was a girl that was raised in Los Angeles and my favorite sexiest actresses that I used to try to emulate those love scenes was Raquel Welsh and Sophia Loren. Let me take you back. <laughs> and when they say Raquel Welsh fell, uh, uh, passed away, I was so devastated because she was my idol. See, my idea of an intimate relationship was when the guy would take the girl and, and they'd be arguing. He'd snatch her to him and bring him close to bring her close to his chest and surrender her and just take her body and throw his head back and throw her head back and her leg would go up like Marilyn Monroe. And that's all the vision I had. And she'd end up winning him over. That's what I had. See, alcohol, prior to alcohol, my delusions and illusions were huge. See, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells me that I suffer from delusions and illusions, and I can't differentiate the truth from the false. That's even without a drink. So if you add King alcohol on top of it, my delusions and illusions become a 70 millimeter MGM movie in my life, in my mind. See, I don't know about you, but I used to tell my sponsor, Betty, I said, Betty, I just want a man to ride up on, on a white horse and, and, and with the armor and just come and rescue me. I don't know about none of you girls, but I'm one of those girls that like to live in my head and I dream these big dreams. Just come and swoop me up on your horse and we ride off into the sunset. She said, yeah, baby, they look good coming. But as they come up closer, you see there's dents in their armor. The horse got horse crap and mud all on the back of his tail. He ain't as white as he looked. And you get swooped up. And as soon as he picks you up, you both fall off the horse. That's what that's the reality my sponsor gave me about this thing called relationships or sex conduct. You know, by the time you get if you're anything like me, by the time you get to this fourth step. And you get to the sex conduct inventory. First thing, the first thing for anybody on who doesn't crack me up that the sex conduct inventory was on page 69. We always say that, but I think God is hysterical. He's got a sense of humor. My last name is strange. Uh, sex conduct on 69. God is just hilarious to me. He's got jokes. But by the time I'd gotten to the sex conduct inventory in my writing, I had a little over a year. Let me go back into some relationships. My first thing with drinking went like this. 
That was a blackout from the very first time I remember getting drunk at a party. It was a high school party. I was 16 years old. They had spiked the punch. If you guys know what spiking the punch looks like, Ronald, you know what that is. That cool kid, that cool cat with the Levi's that are creased in the middle. He comes in with the leather jacket and he pours that Annie Green Springs, that cheap liquor into the punch bowl when the parents aren't looking. It's a nighttime party. We're excited. Me and my friends, I get to spend the night at her house. So, you know, if you're a girl, you get to spend the night at your friend's house. Oh, you get to do all kinds of stuff. And the guy that I was waiting for the whole night, I'd had, a, I'd made a big story up in my head of what it was going to look like when he and I get together. He was going to do me like a Lana Turner and snatch me and say, you the girl for me. Cause I'd had a big crush on this boy. He was a little bit older than me. I was 16 at the time. So he's probably about 18 and he ran, ran with a crew of guys. He had an afro as big as Michael Jackson and I was in love. And so that night he spiked the punch and, and I'm ready. I got my outfit on. I'm excited. He came in with his group of friends. He's the one that took the brown paper bag out of his back pocket. He made a big scene of spiking the punch. And he ignored me the rest of the night. In fact, he went to a girl that's hair was longer, that was cuter than me, maybe even a little lighter than me. I don't know what it was, but it seemed like he chose her over me, but he didn't even know my name. See, if you have a magic magnifying mind like mine, my head said that he knew psychically that I liked him. He knew that I was going to be the cutest girl in the room. I'd made up an entire scenario. I told myself an entire story about how it was going to go down, how it was going to jump off that night. And none of that happened. I was so hurt and embarrassed within myself. Then I started drinking that punch and that punch made me more relaxed and it kind of seemed to get rid of the anger. And I drank more and more of that punch until I became the drunkest person in the party. I became so drunk that I don't remember any of the rest of the party. And they had to hide me in the laundry room from her mother because I was so drunk. The next day I wake up, they have to tell me how it was. What was the party like? That is the insidious insanity of my alcoholism. And then to put alcohol on top of that ism. Some of you say, well, what is alcoholism? If you don't know what alcoholism, I'm going to tell you a brief story. Alcoholism is the ism. It's once you remove the alcohol from the person, it's the sickness of my thinking. It is the I separate myself. It is the I self and me. It's all about me. What I expect. What do I think is going to happen? Now, you have not heard me mention God in this in this description of my alcoholic thinking or my alcoholic drinking. Although I was raised with an idea of a God, the amazing part of all of that is God never came into my mind. I was always taught, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, be the best person you could be. Um, figure it out for yourself, Leslie. My mother was a single parent. She was a strong woman. I was the oldest of two. You figure it out. No one ever sat me down. And explain life and circumstances and people and boys. No one ever told me. Maybe my mother didn't know. So I just went with what you guys said, or I went with what the girls used to talk about in the locker room and all the stories. I just went with what I thought felt good. That was my first blackout and it was behind a boy. Now, was I alcoholic at that time? I don't know. I really don't know when I crossed the invisible line. You know, what's amazing about this invisible line is this. 
They always use the analogy once you're you become a pickle, if you're a cucumber, you become a pickle. Mine is like once you're a piece of bread and you toast it, you toast. You can't untoast toast. So somewhere in my alcoholic career, I was toast. But I always felt this sense of lack of something. Something was missing. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous describes it as a spiritual malady. I like to call it a hole in the bowels of my soul. There was something that was always missing. I blamed it on my mother because she didn't hug me and love me enough and tell me I was good enough. I blamed it on my friends because they always picked. I was always the last one to be picked at the games. And I blamed it on you boys. Because you always left me for a girl I thought was cuter than me. I thought was smarter than me. I thought was wealthier than me. It was that lack of self-love that catapulted me in chasing this illusion of what I thought love was supposed to be. Fast forward. I get into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm surrendered by that time. By that time, my sexual uh, record, my sexual FICA score was a zero. I just made that up, by the way, the sexual FICA score. I don't know what that is, you know, or maybe it was real high. I don't know. It depends on how you're looking at it. But by that time I got to this stage, I've run through so many men. I've had so many different diseases. I mean, physical diseases, mental illness, 9,000 abortions, because at the time that I'm drinking, I'm not caring about who my partner is. I don't know if anybody's in the room like me, but I don't exactly pick the nicest, cleanest guy when I'm drunk. So by this time, my record, my history is my value is what's between my legs. I know this sounds very harsh, but this is how it goes for me. My value system is how can I manipulate you sexually to get you to like me for you to complete that emptiness in my soul? That's what it came out to be. Now, this language I'm using here was not a language I knew before Alcoholics Anonymous. Fear and sex. You know, I like to say this about fear. Fear is the food that feeds my resentments. Fear is the food that feeds my defects. And fear is the food that feeds my third column in my fourth step. What does that mean? If I am afraid and you affect my sexual relations, my personal relations, my ambitions, which are my goals. I want this to be a wonderful relationship or I want to be a wonderful life. If you affect any one of those areas, it's all prompted by fear. It says in the big book that fear is the corroding thread throughout my entire life always has been. Again, I didn't have this language until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Tell you a couple stories. When I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard you guys say, don't get into a relationship within the first year. My attitude with my intellectual behind said, well, it's not in the big book. And Bill and Bob had wives. I want a husband. For all you single sitting up in here, I'm getting me a husband. I'm getting me a wife. I'm getting me a partner. That was my attitude. Show me in the book. See, I was one of them. But then I got too smart. Show me in the book where that is. But the thing that my ignorant self forgot to ask is, why do you guys say that? I came to find this out. I met a man in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. He had 60 days coming back from a relapse. I had 30 days, brand new. He looked at me in a marathon, and I looked at him in a marathon, and I said, there he is. One more time, Leslie using her fine-tuned state of choice 
pick a man who was just as sick as she was. You know, something Betty used to say all the time. She said, baby, water seeks its own level. So if you're talking about how sick your partner is, and I invite you to think about this for your consideration. If you happen to look back over your relationship, your intimate relationships and partnerships, and you wonder why, you wonder why, this is my roommate walking behind me, and you wonder why, um, you keep picking the same person. If you're anything like me and the names are changed to protect the innocent, but it's the same person. She said, you are what you pick. I said, well, how do I pick better? She said, you need to look at yourself on your inventory. So I meet this guy. We decide to go into this, this union together. And against all that was told in, in the rooms, Alcoholics Anonymous, we got married. Now, let me share some intimate stuff with you. Don't tell nobody, even though this is recorded. See, I'm the girl that has the baby first. And then I marry the man twice sober. Amy, Amy got me beat. She got brothers that are uncles, cousins and sister nephews. And I don't know what I tried to sit down and figure out what the relationship, what they call each other. Amy, I love you. I love you. I love her. But she she got me beat. But for me, it, it, being new and, and figuring I needed still bringing in that old behavior prior to being separated from alcohol into the rooms uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous produced nothing more than more frustration. Now I can't drink those feelings away. I mean, I tried every imaginable remedy to relieve myself of the bondage of another human being. But I always got caught up in some madness and some mess, some self-imposed crisis something in the intimate relationship. In fact, I don't even know why they call it a sex conduct inventory. It should be an immoral sex conduct inventory because there wasn't much morality and much value and much God in the midst of my choices. I put too much on sex. I put too much on, on manipulating and, and getting you to be who I wanted you to be. Just love me, love me, love me, be with me, don't leave me. But the cold part about Leslie Strange is when I got you, now I don't want you no more. I don't know if anybody is like that, but once I got you, and I think I got some power. Thank you, Rick, for being honest. Some of y'all in the back, back with your cameras off. But I, once I got you, I don't have to do that anymore. I, I don't have to work so hard. See, I like to use the phrase, and I'm going to get deeper into it. I like to use the phrase that. We are restless, irritable, and discontent until at once we get a sense of relief by filling the blanks. Is it sex? Is it money? Is it property? Is it prestige? For me, it was intimate relationships and sex, a sense of, e a sense of ease and comfort. So I get with this man because I got pregnant and I get with this man and now we're a year in and, and I'm, I'm pregnant. But instead of just, you know, we set up the date to to get married in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. By that time, I'm, I'm in the middle of this program. I'm going to meetings. I, I haven't had the urge to drink. And I don't know how long. I don't know when that urge left me. That was something God lifted from me, the obsession to drink. But I still use people to fix so I'm pregnant. We get married. 
I have the baby one week to the before the pregnancy, um, before the uh, birth of the child, my oldest son. But about eight or nine months in, this man stood up over me and he spit in my face, literally. He would verbally abuse me. He would physically come up on me. He was six foot four, 230, 40 pounds. And he would walk up on me. I'm five foot two, barely 120 pounds. And he would walk up on me in a threatening manner. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you're a girl that's used to being abused, whether it's your mom or something, if somebody rushes you and walks up on you and you sitting down, See, because he's the type of man that'll walk up on you and hit you in the head because you're sitting down. So I would stand up, pregnant as all get up. In the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I will hope you feel the, the pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization of that. Because I didn't want anybody to know that this man had been abusing me before I even said I do. But because of fear of what you thought and fear of him leaving you and fear of me making a mistake and leaving too soon and fear ego, ego kept me in that relationship. So after I had the baby, we got married. That man went off to Germany. He went into the army. I turned around and leave Los Angeles. And after I did my first full inventory, got the spiritual awakening, the fifth step did exactly like the steps. But I'm still left with alcoholism. I didn't know that. There was a sense of freedom. There was a spiritual awakening that happened. But little did I know, years to come, I would still be in total self-will run riot. We go to Germany. That man continues to be who he is. And he became physically and emotionally and spiritually abusive. So now I come back to Los Angeles after I decide to leave him. Now I've got almost five years sober. I have a baby that's about a year and a half, two years, uh, two years old. Now I'm homeless. I'm living back at my mother's house. But all I got is you guys. And it is by the grace of God that I could not wait to run to a meeting. And when I ran to those same halls, you guys were still there. And I came in the front and I was just broken because I was like, God, I did everything you told me to do. I did everything. I did a sex conduct inventory. I looked at my defects and shortcomings. I made amends. I I, I, I start. I was sponsoring people early on. I mean, I did everything. I don't know about you, but when you feel like you've done everything that the steps tell you to do, you're sponsored. I did everything. God, why are my relationships never working? There was something still wrong. And I still had the mitigated gall to fall to my agnostic knees and believe it was God's fault. So I started going back to the meetings and then I met another boy. And then I met another boy. Then I met another boy. And each man was progressively worse. Let me tell you some of the stuff that I've done. How fear can make you do things Based on ego. See, I'm the kind of girl that if you if you don't respond to me, see, when I got sober, guys and girls were were um, paging. We were into pagers and we just got in the little flip phones and all that kind of stuff. And 
I would like a guy who was the biggest player in the room. Everybody knew this guy was the king of the players. And I always have this magic idea that if I just love him enough, if I just get with him, Chris, he going to like me and he going to change. See, I separate myself because I think that I'm term, I suffer from terminal uniqueness. I think that I'm, I'm just going to do it just enough so I'll be special. He'll change because I'm different. That is nothing but arrogance and ego and cockiness. That is the brainstorm child of the disease. I blow his pager up, he doesn't call. I'm 911, he doesn't call. So if you're an anxious alcoholic like me, you get in the car. I'm a drive-by girl. I don't know about you, but when it doesn't work, I get in the car and I drive over there. He knocking on his door. See, I even get out the car and knock on his door. I'm talking stone cold sober. And some of you guys said, well, wait a minute. Didn't you have a sponsor? Sure did. Sponsor would suggest, I don't suggest you go over there until I got with Betty. She said, baby, keep going over there. Keep going over there. I had a, another relationship where I, um, and I'm telling you the fear and the insanity of my relationship conduct because I lacked the character. I, I couldn't pull it together. I had um, my second husband. I used to check his messages on his phone. I'm not ashamed. Sober. I mean, it was his fault. I mean, who makes their 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 password their birthday? It was his fault, Chris. He why Miss Marilyn? Why would he make his? Because you know, we women are great detectives. I can find out some stuff. Women, somebody right now going through somebody's pockets. I'm sorry, boo. I hope you find what you're looking for. Let me, I'm telling on me today. I don't know where this is coming from, Ralph. This ain't the talk you thought you was gonna get. But listen, so guess what I did. I sit up there and I start checking his voicemail. Now I'm about double digits in, right? And I'm checking his voicemail and I'm hearing all these women. Oh my God. Hey, boo, when you coming back to Texas? Hey, honey, miss you. Oh, we had such a good time. All these voicemail. I am stabbing myself in the heart every time I listen to his voicemail. I'm snotting and crying. I can't work. I don't know about you, but when I get emotionally distraught, especially in a relationship, I can't get out the bed. I can't work. I can't function. I don't eat. Some of y'all eat a gallon of ice cream. Me, I start looking like we are the world with a fly on my nose. I start losing weight looking like I drank everything and hit the crack pipe. Shut up. Don't judge me. I start looking like, oh, we, you don't understand the emotional lack of sobriety will make you look like you drunk when you ain't even drinking. I called my sponsor at work, went into the bathroom. You know, it's nothing worse than to be at work and being in an emotional spiral or a black hole. I called Betty. I said, Betty, it's all these women. Can I three-way you? She said, no, you can't three-way me. I don't want to hear all that. I said, but Betty, these girls is calling. He's in the rooms. These girls are calling him and, and, and I can't say nothing to him. Look, at this is how punishing I am. I can't say anything to him because I violated by going into his thing, right? So I, part of me wants to stop it, but part of me says, no, I want to hear more. See, it's something about wanting to kill your damn self without alcohol. I, I'm addicted to drag drama and bullshit. 
there was a part of me that was a still addicted to the self-righteous anger, the self-righteous indignation. Like, look at what he's doing to me. I have the right to know. I have the right to know. And if he won't tell me, and if I think that he's doing something, I'm going to put on my inspector gadget, my Sherlock Holmes. I'm going to go and I'm going to go look for it. Honey, Betty told me something that was so profound, and I share with anybody who's doing it right now today. She said, baby. I said, Betty, what do I do? See, you know, it's something about when you hit that sliding in on your knees and on the side of your face to a bottom. You call your sponsor, give me anything. Can you give me a word today? Can you tell me what to do? What to write now? She said, no, there's nothing to write. She said, baby, I want you to keep doing it. I said, keep doing it? She said, baby, yes, I want you to keep doing it. Why would you tell me to keep doing something that's killing me? I'm terrified of losing this man. Oh, by then I'm on second baby number two and I ain't married again. Because I told you I had the baby first and that was my manipulation to get the man. But see, when you're in it, you don't know it until you get out of it. See, both my children were birthed out of desperation. Insanity. She said, keep doing it. She said, how many times do you check the voicemail? I said, I check the voicemail about two, three. I'm lying, two, three times a day. It's about every hour I was checking the voicemail. She said, well, baby, keep doing it. I said, why would you tell me to do something? And you could tell that I'm hurting. You could see that I'm hurting. She said, because I want you to hit a bottom. I want you to get so tired of yourself that you'll be ready to recover. See, this is before I knew anything about six and seven being the crux of this disease, my defects and my shortcomings, which are being fed by my fears. My fear is usually in the future or I'm projecting something or I'm creating imaginary stories about the worst that can happen. And I believe the lies because my disease centers in my thinking. And when I sit down and figure out that if he leaves me, no one else is ever going to want me. And I'm going to be that old lady. No offense to cat lovers. I'm going to be that old lady with 10,000 cats and nobody comes to visit her. That's where my mind took me at 30 something, 40 something years old over and over and over again. Because I'm trying to manage my life and I'm trying to manage your life by bringing you into my insanity. What happened with that? It happened exactly like Betty said. I got tired. I got tired. And there was a there was a awakening that says, why are you hurting yourself? Why are you killing yourself? Why are you not talking to the most high and asking for him to help remove whatever this is, this sick, insidious self-hate? Why are you doing this? It was like that. So I called him. I told him, you know what? I've been listening to your voicemail. He did what most most people would do who are guilty. He goes off on me, beats me up verbally and tells me why are you all in my business and stuff like that. And then he changes. I say, you need to change your password. I've been listening. And one more time, I'm picking my pen. I'm not, I'm doing another inventory for with my resentment, my fears, and my immoral sex conduct inventory. I'm reading it to Betty. We come up with the defects. I go back to the amends and stuff. But one thing I learned in my older age and all of my relationships, I'm able, I'm I'm okay with making amends uh, now, but I'm not okay with forgiving you. 
And until I forgive these individuals for their lack of being what I think they should be, for their lack of being able to make me happy, I'm going to keep repeating the pattern. And hopefully I don't drink. You know, there's something in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that says, if your conduct continues to harm others, if your conduct continues to harm others, you will drink again. But then it said, this could be half-truths. Well, I don't want to know what the other half is, but, but I know when I put myself in that emotional position to be hurt. You know, something our friend Strange used to say, he said, if you're tired of getting screwed, get out the position. So I like to add to that graphic. Stop bending over and grabbing your ankles. What is it in me that needs another human being to make me happy? Why can't another human being just add to my happiness? That means there's some work I need to come in with. So the second husband failed. Because I do what I always do at 18 years sober, 17 years sober. I didn't like he no more. I didn't want him no more because he wasn't being who I thought he should be. See, I didn't understand nothing, the emotional maturity of being in a relationship with somebody. Of course, I had the baby, which is my youngest son, and then we got married. And let me tell you how insane my stuff is. This is a great story. He and I got married on Valentine's Day about 22 years ago, 22, yeah, about 22 years ago on Valentine's Day. I'm sober as a judge, so is he. We had a brother in the fellowship that was a minister. And we called him up and said, can we get married? Because one more time, you know, my babies are always at my weddings. Don't judge me. My babies are at the wedding. He said, yeah, come on down. I got my second marriage. I was married in a funeral home. Shut up. It was dead before it started. Yep, I already said it. That is hysterical. Who does that? I was married in a funeral parlor. They had to move the body that was in the chapel to the back. You can hear them uh, vacuuming and stuff and move the body out the way. Because I had to have that second husband, the same one that was getting the voicemails, the same one that was doing whatever he was doing to me. I had to have him. I chased that man for 10 years. I chased him for 10 years. Off and on, off and on. He moved out. I did a drive-by, left both kids at the house, drove over to his house. There was a girl over there. I acted a complete ass, jumped out the bushes on him. Yeah, I jump out of bushes. And I'm not like Amy. I can't fight. So all I do is I'm talking stuff. The other girl getting out of his car and he telling me, go home. Pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. He goes, walks me to my car, makes me go home, and him and the girl go up to his house. This is the kind of insanity of untreated alcoholism or treated alcoholism. I don't know. I didn't know that I would sink so low in my self-worth, in my trust in God, in my belief system. I just didn't have a belief system. So I get married in a funeral parlor. My baby cried through the whole uh, funeral Somebody ran to the local uh, Rouse down the street, no, no pun intended, but Rouse down the street and got us a cake and we cut the cake in the office. That marriage lasted about two years. And the reason why that marriage didn't last is because I didn't know I had the defect of lust, me, you know, recovering hope. I didn't know I had that. 
So my excuse was this young man came up out of nowhere and he was cute and he was flying. He was from New York and he had swag and he had Timberlands on and the cap to the back. And I was like, oh, my God. This is what fear does when you allow it. Fear told me I could do better with this one because this man, I don't want to be with him anymore. I couldn't accept him exactly as he was, as if he'd never changed or even if he got worse. That was one of the things Betty used to tell me. So I invite you for your consideration, whoever you're with, whoever you're looking at, whoever your future is, can you accept them exactly as they are, as if they'd never changed, or even if they got worse? That's a hard one to swallow. Because that last part, even if they got worse, oh my God. So I tell her things like, no, I can't accept him like that. She said, well, then you need to let him go so some other woman can have him. Oh my God, now you're touching my ego. I'm not ready to let him go. Fast forward, I get with this man. In the midst of this program, sponsoring, speaking one more time in the midst of this program. I'd like to use a phrase that Ralph says all the time. If this is how bad I am in the program, I'd rather fall, show my entire behind, skid on my face, make mistakes, high noon on a Sunday in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous than outside in the dope spot or in the alcohol uh, 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 coma. This is where life takes place right here. If you think you're going to come in here and pick this and you're going to be a Polly and a Dave, I'm pretty sure Polly got stories she ain't told everybody, but somebody knows them. In fact, Polly, I was thinking about calling her a couple of times. How did you stay with somebody? I couldn't do 40 minutes with a man. How you do 40 years? I don't understand that science. But it's doable because the 12 and 12 talks about that. It talks about how successful marriages can be in AA. It talks about the single person. You single people read the 12 step in the 12 and 12 for your consideration. It talks about how to be single, how to be able to dig yourself into the fellowship to get you off of your magic magnifying selfishness and self-centeredness. So I get with this young man and. He's sponsored by this guy in the room here today. We're going to run off to, to, to this magical place called Love Forever Island, whatever that was. He didn't have very much time, and I had a little bit of time under my belt. In fact, I was 13-stepping the hell out of him because you know what it was? The truth of the matter is he made me feel powerful. He hung on to my every word. It made me feel Worthy, worthy and important and amazing. And so we took our show on the road and he, he suggested something. I said, come on, let's go. I sold my house in Los Angeles. I packed up my two kids, a dog and a cat, two cars, sold my house, came out here. And that relationship crashed and burned fast as hell. Now I'm a victim again. One more time, why can't somebody just see the fantastic value of Leslie Strange? I'm a good mother. I'm a good wife. I'm a great mate. I got your back. You know, what's the phrase? You know, some of these old ideas that we come in here with is like, be a ride or die. I got your back. Uh, baby, I had to let go a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, I had to change one thing in my attitude, not look upon relationships. And that was everything. Everything. 
And I had to lay up under the breastplate of my sponsor, even though now she's 3,000 miles away. She would allow me to call her on the phone and just weep. I can't even say cry. It was a weep. I don't know about you, but nothing feels so bad than an emotional downfall. That is more devastating to me than coming off of alcohol. Another failed relationship. Now I got two boys with two last names. I'm I'm, I'm a Catholic girl. I'm, you're supposed to have one man forever, aren't you? Aren't you supposed? I see Carol Brady. I see Claire Huxtable. I see these people on TV. Then I see these couples that have been together 52 years. And I'm seeing all this stuff. Why can't I do that? Because I suffer from alcoholism. I separate me from you. And I separate me from God. And I take the show on the road and I handle these situations myself. But in all my getting and all my, my stuff and that, that boy left me and I say, boy, he left me and got with another girl and had some children and, and then I was left devastated and, and I've tried every imaginable remedy because of fear. Okay. I know what I'm going to be celibate. Not sell a bit, but I'm going to be celibate. I'm going to abstain from sex. Sex was not the problem. The act of sex is a beautiful thing. The big book talks about it. It's not to be loathed or to be used selfishly. It's a, it's a God-given right of a human being. Now, whatever your idea is, whether it's polygamy or 95 or 75 or 511 mates, I tell you, if you get a relationship, get four or five of them. See how that works. Try not to drink. But what I found, my friends, is that when I did my sex conduct inventory, one of the things it says in there, and it says we ask God for a sane and sound ideal. A sane and sound ideal. Not just of a sex conduct, but an intimate relationship with another human being. It's hard being honest in a relationship. My sponsor used to say, keep that disease in your mouth. There's a level of honesty that you have with yourself and your sponsor that you don't always necessarily, for me, I don't always necessarily talk to my partner about. Because it would be harmful, it would be hurtful, it wouldn't add to him, it would take from him. Let me give you some up-to-date insanity that I have done. This is a confession here. Let me let y'all know what I've done. So one day. I had a sane and sound ideal and my sponsor told me to write a list and it's not in the big book because, you know, I'm not, I'm not relegated to keeping this right in the black and white, do exactly like this. Whatever my sponsors that I trust, the God in them, even if I'm not connected, whatever they challenge me to do, I will do it because I want to get closer. I want to be something like them. They are the light. They are the litmus test. They are the image I want to be. Betty wasn't successful. She had five marriages. People were like, why would you get a sponsor like that? I said, who would be better to tell me what not to do? Because she's already done it. And she was just like that. The sponsor I have now, she has a husband. He's in the fellowship. And she is a wonderful guide on how to be a sage, a mother, a loved one, how to be a, a woman among women. And how to be a better partner a day at a time. Now, see, sometimes I know there's some sponsors on here. I'm not getting in the relationship. I don't want to talk to you about that. I'm not a soothsayer. I am not a, 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 a Yana Van Zandt or a Melody Beattie. Or, I'm not that. But I share my experience with you. And we're going to talk about real life stuff. 
And we're going to examine your character or lack thereof. I'm not going to tell you to leave him. I'm not going to tell you to leave her. I'm not going to. I can't do that because I am not the arbiter of your conduct. But what I can do is share with you to maybe motivate you to get to sane and sound ideals. So I wrote this list of what would be sane and sound of what God would have me to be, not what Leslie would want. But what would God have me to be? Now, the first time I did that sane and sound ideal, I was just delusional as hell. He had to make six figures. He had to be this tall, drive a fly foreign car, don't have no kids, make me the most important. I mean, it was a ridiculous list. And each time I revisited that sane and sound idea and created a new one, it was a different man. With each failure in each relationship, I'm here to tell you, newcomers, the best thing I could find out is what wasn't for me. The best thing I could find out is what defect, what fear led me to continue in relationships that I knew weren't of God's will. What it did is it taught me what are the good things that came out of each relationship. And one day I sat down with pen in hand out of nowhere. Spirit gave me write down all the good qualities of all these different men and try to make that a sane and sound ideal, along with the principles of the character of a person that you want. And each relationship has become better and better and better. And then one day, out of nowhere, I tried being celibate. That lasted maybe about 11 and a half months. Dated this guy. He was crazy. But the cool thing about when I get the crazy ones, because it says water seeks its own level, I started raising my level of water. So if they show crazy too fast, too soon, I'm out. I can't. My, I don't have the spiritual bandwidth. I don't have the emotional bandwidth. I, I can't. If it's in danger of my relationship with God, with my sponsees, with my sobriety, I got to let it go. It's something about this spiritual awakening that lets me know warning. Will Smith, danger. So I meet this guy years and years ago. And we were friends, just like Polly and Dave. We were friends. No intent, no eye, no nothing. Everything was just, he was just my friend. He was my go-to before I made that move with that youngster and left my ex-husband. And I started dating this man and he wasn't on the horizon. and He didn't fit what I thought was in my sane and sound ideal. But then he did. Because I wanted somebody who had these traits, sort of like me, like I had grown into. Wise and smart and self-supporting and all of that. But I wasn't looking. And one day, he approached me. And I don't know, spirit, something down in my soul said, try it. We six and a half years in now, in spite of public opinion, if there is any, because I really don't care, but I didn't do anything. And I don't think it was intentional because we both went through a whole bunch and we both lived out loud in our relationships and Alcoholics Anonymous and, and we were friends. And we're friends today. And one day the disease came into my head. 
And because I'm a scary little girl and I always want to find a way out, I want to distrust you. I don't trust you. But you know what my sponsor, Brenda, says? The reason why you may not trust your partner, because maybe your ass is not trustworthy either. So my spidey senses tell me, let me go check some things out. So he lives in another state. I live 3000 miles away. And all of a sudden, you know, you know how people log in at your house and they log in on your computer and then they kind of forget to close it down. Shut up, Ronnie. Don't judge me. So. So I'm going to go in there. I said, OK, I'm going to look at them emails. I was like two years ago, three years ago, I'm going to look at them emails. I'm sponsoring. I'm looking like Leslie Strange. Leslie Strange. Leslie Strange is on a short bus for real. Honey, I got in there. I tried to log in. I went to log in and, 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 it, and, and it didn't say nothing. It wouldn't open up. So the next thing I do, I later on that day, I was like, okay, it didn't open up. I call. I say, hey, babe, how you doing? Mm, not so good. Now this, listen closely, y'all. <laughs> It's not embarrassing to me. It's hysterical. Okay. I am not embarrassed anymore by stuff I do because I am just insane. I said, what's going on? And he said, mm, nothing. I said, how you doing? Not too good. Real cool. Oh, you ain't showing his hand. I said, oh, I said, what's wrong? Oh, I just got a message today that, uh, Someone tried to log into my emails from Marietta, Georgia. Fear <laughs> fed my defects. Lust, self-righteous anger, um, impropriety, uh, he going to leave me. He doing something behind my back. I'm so focused on what he is and ain't doing that I'm looking at myself going, I'm going to go this route to discover it. Because if I discover something wrong and I see him doing something wrong, I'm going to leave. You know what? I've seen him do stuff that may be questionable. I've seen him do and say some things that may be questionable. But the amazing thing for me is I didn't leave today. I tried. I tried. I tried, y'all. I really tried. That lasted about three weeks. It didn't work. Because my thing is to run false evidence appearing real or F everything and run. I'm going to run because I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And I'm going to feel that same pain when that boy had me on the couch in a fetal position. And I was going down 80 pounds, smoking back to back cigarettes at 17 to 20 years sober. I don't want to feel that pain. So I run or I stay and I destroy myself in the process. For those of you suffering from low self-esteem and low self-worth, for those of you who are suffering from the injustices of your mama didn't love you and your daddy didn't love you and you 5,000 years old and you got gray hair, grow the hell up. Oh, that's just a suggestion. Bill says to me, and I say this to you, the final frontier in recovery for me is emotional sobriety. Do you know what that man looked at me? And when he said that to me on the phone, I said, oh, and we got quiet. You could hear the, you could hear the air through the phone. And there was nothing I could say. I said, oh, okay. 
Okay, I gotta go. I'll, I'll call you back later. I could not sleep. I could not eat. I could not rest. Now that was not guilt, shame, and remorse. I don't like guilt, shame, and remorse. And for Leslie Strange, that is not a characteristic of my God. My God is not a God of guilt, shame, and remorse. But what you develop in here through spiritual experiences and spiritual awakenings is you get a God consciousness. I am not guilty, I am not shameful, I am not remorseful, but I have a gut that tells me now, along with a sponsor that confirms it now, that you out of order. I didn't have to call my sponsor on that one. 30 years in, I didn't have to call my sponsor on that one. I knew, I felt it. I immediately called him back. But this is the loving, forgiving man that God put in my life. Not perfect. Neither am I. I called him back. I said, you know what? I need to make amends for my behavior. I took this relationship and I took it into my personal relationships. I do it with my sponsees. If they feel insulted by something I may have said, because I can go flipping at the mouth in front of people sometimes. I take the same attitude and I put it into my relationships, my intimate relationships. I've taken my children through the, uh, uh, the sex conduct questions, because if you look at the questions, they're just questions. I just told a sponsee recently, and I'm going to get back to this gentleman. I told a sponsee recently, I said, you need to write about that ex because he's living in you. You know what? I found out, friends, it is not the bite of a snake or a scorpion that gets you. It is the venom that kills you. The bite's just the bite. It's the venom that kills you. The venom is the poison of my alcoholic thinking, my anger, my separation from God. That is the poison. I had to come back to this man who knows everything about me. Because I've always kind of guided myself on being transparent. And I said, I am apologizing and you won't have to. I have not checked a phone. I have not checked an email. I think I got about three and a half years of sobriety in that area. I ain't relapsed lately. But I ain't going to say. But anyway, you know, it's not it's not that I can't. Now, I can always relapse in that area, but I choose not to because you guys have taught me how to walk the walk, talk the talk, and come back and immediately promptly admit myself. And you know what he said to me? He said, okay. He said, you clean up very well. That's what he gave me. He said, you clean up very well. I fixed that, baby. Not just to keep him. Just so my ass could go to sleep. That's how selfish self-centered. I, I wasn't to keep... But I know he's about this thing. And it's not about putting kudos on him. This relationship is not easy for me because I'm the girl. I'll leave you in a I'm fully self-supporting. I'm the girl that look out. Mm -mm. My ego tells me I'm still marketable. I can do all these things. But why? When are you going to stop running, Leslie? When are you going to sit down? When are you just going to learn to love somebody unconditionally? Huh? Fear is the food and the corroding thread in my life that has kept me in the bondage of self. So what I have to do, and I invite you to this because I got a few more minutes, and this is something that in my quiet time. See, nobody could have told me that a long distance relationship could have worked. Because if you'd have told me this five or thank you, five or ten minutes ago, um, ten minutes, five or ten years ago, that you're gonna be with somebody that's on the other side of the world, I'm not trusting him or I can't trust me. I'd have had men coming in the front door, men coming in the back door. This man got a key or can have a key if he can find it. You know, this man could come anytime he wants to and stay as he wants to. And I don't have to change nothing. I don't have to hide nothing. Because there's nothing for me to hide. Because I've learned to develop these characteristics that are 
all behind the 12 steps. The traditions are to the group as they are to the individual. Today, I get to have somebody who supports me. Today, I get to be a support to somebody. It's something about being able to sit in a meeting and leave a conference and go to the hotel room and discuss the conference and our perspectives and disagree and clash. But we know one thing. God is in the center of that. God is like Sandy Beach says. He's the perfect gentleman. He doesn't come where you to, where he's not invited and he don't stay where he's not wanted. So we consciously and subconsciously invite God in the middle of this relationship because I can't do anything without God. Sex is not the issue. It's the 11th step. Understand and to be understood. Bring dark light where there's darkness. Bring love where there's no love. To be able to give is a gift, but also to receive is a gift. Being able to say thank you without explaining why. Being able to show up and be accountable even when you don't want to. Being able to be an ear when you don't want to hear it. And these practices I take into all my intimate relationships, these practices I do with my children, those two boys from those two different husbands are the most wonderful, never been in handcuffs. They've had their difficulties, but they've never disrespected mom. They respect me as mother, teacher, friend. If you're afraid of relationships, stay scared. If you keep jumping in and out of relationship, keep jumping in and out of. If you decide you're going to isolate, you know, I like to say this before I close. You know, you never learn how to ride a bike without falling down. And then one day, you remember, you get your balance and you can ride down a hill with no hands. I think that's kind of what this life is about. You get your balance. You get your bearings. And then you'll be doing all kind of tricks and stuff and jumping off curves and stuff fearlessly. But you go in here with fear and it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but let somebody know and get someone that can help guide you through these steps and through this process called recovery so that I can develop an intimate relationship with another human being. Because if I develop relationship with another human being and you guys are all examples of God, then I have then developed a relationship with the most high or whatever you want to call it. Just don't call it Leslie. So today, my friends, I don't have the answer and I am not a relationship theorist. I mean, a uh, counselor. I don't know nothing, but I can tell you what don't work for Leslie Strange and may not work for you. Find out who you are. Find out who you are and see if your delusion is lofty and off the charts and over the top and live under those delusions and see how that works for you. Because we'll be right here. And as you snot and cry and roll around on the floor because he going to leave or she done left or I'm scared of this. Hold on. Hold on. Just take a sponsor with you that can guide you. And teach you how to let go. Say this to you. Third step prayer. If you're in a relationship with your children or family, whatever. 
God, I offer myself to you to build with you and to do with you as you will. Do with you as you will. Relieve Leslie of the bondage of Leslie so that she can better do your will. In fact, take away her difficulties so that when she has victory over all her difficulties, she can be an example and tell other people about your power, your love, and your way of life. God, may she do your will always. And if you have a relationship, replace your name with that person and say, God, relieve my children of the bondage of self. And then when you let go and you give it over to the care of God, you don't have to care anymore. You just walk the walk. My name is Leslie Strange, and I hope I was able to incite a riot inside your soul. Thank you.